Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is the second Sunday in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty ever-living God, who govern all things both in heaven and on earth, mercifully hear the pleading of your people, and bestow your peace on our times. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the first book of Samuel. Samuel was lying in the sanctuary of the Lord, where the ark of God was. When the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel, he answered, Here I am. Then he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, since you called me. Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Once again the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, since you called me. He replied, I did not call you, my son. Go back and lie down. Samuel had as yet no knowledge of the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Once again the Lord called, the third time. He got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, since you called me. Eli then understood that it was the Lord who was calling the boy, and he said to Samuel, Go and lie down. And if someone calls, say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord then came and stood by, calling as he had done before, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel answered, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Samuel grew up, and the Lord was with him and let no word of his fall to the ground. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here am I, Lord, I come to do your will. Here am I, Lord, I come to do your will. I waited, I waited for the Lord, and he stooped down to me. He heard my cry. He put a new song into my mouth. Praise of our God. Here am I, Lord, I come to do your will. You do not ask for sacrifice and offerings, but an open ear. You do not ask for holocaust and victim. Instead, here am I. Here am I, Lord, I come to do your will. In the scroll of the book it stands written that I should do your will. My God, I delight in your law, in the depth of my heart. Here am I, Lord, I come to do your will. Your justice I have proclaimed in the great assembly. My lips I have not sealed. You know it, O Lord. Here am I, Lord. I come to do your will. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. The body is not meant for fornication. It is for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. God, who raised the Lord from the dead, will by his power raise us up too. You know surely that your bodies are members making up the body of Christ. 
Do you think I can take parts of Christ's body and join them to the body of a prostitute? Never. But anyone who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Keep away from fornication. All the other sins are committed outside the body, but to fornicate is to sin against your own body. Your body, you know, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you since you received him from God. You are not your own property. You have been bought and paid for. That is why you should use your body for the glory of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. We have found the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who brings us truth and grace. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. As John stood with two of his disciples, Jesus passed. And John stared hard at him and said, Look, there is the Lamb of God. Hearing this, the two disciples followed Jesus. Jesus turned round, saw them following, and said, What do you want? They answered, Rabbi, which means teacher, where do you live? Come and see, he replied. So they went and saw where he lived and stayed with him the rest of the day. It was about the tenth hour. One of these two who became followers of Jesus after hearing what John had said was Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter. Early next morning, Andrew met his brother and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. And he took Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked hard at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Kephas, meaning rock. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So the Gospel of John paints a pretty powerful picture. We've got John the Baptist doing his thing, a couple of his disciples standing around him, and then Jesus walks past, John stares hard at him and says, Look, there is the Lamb of God. This kind of finger pointing to Jesus is the summary of the whole Old Testament. Everything that God had done in order to prepare his people to receive the Messiah is now summed up in this finger of John the Baptist there. That's him. That's the Messiah. That's the Lamb of God. Now, I suppose it's a phrase that we're familiar enough with, Jesus, the Lamb of God. We hear it every time we go to Mass. In fact, we hear it once and say it multiple times. The priest says, behold, the Lamb of God. And, you know, three times we say, Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. And each of those moments, we're kind of acting like the finger of John the Baptist. There is the Lamb of God. Especially as the Eucharistic species is presented to us, as we proclaim these words at the altar after the consecration, here is the Lamb of God. And there's such a rich biblical tradition behind this phrase of Jesus, the Lamb of God. I think sometimes we can kind of get lulled into thinking that, you know, maybe Jesus is the Lamb because, you know, he's cute and cuddly and fluffy. Um, But that's not it. In fact, Jesus is anything but cute and cuddly and fluffy and harmless. Uh, Just ask the temple priests after Jesus drove them out of the temple with a whip. No, this title that John the Baptist gives, Jesus... The Lamb of God. 
It's got so much depth to it, but I'd like to point to three aspects, three points from the Old Testament that I think help to give shape to who Jesus is and what he's come to do for us. All right, so number one, there's that famous prophecy that comes from the prophet Isaiah about the suffering servant. We hear it on Good Friday. Listen again. We had all gone astray like sheep, each taking his own way. And the Lord burdened him with the sins of all of us. Harshly dealt with, he bore it humbly. He never opened his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughterhouse, like a sheep that is dumb before its shearers, never opening its mouth. Now, these are famous words for us. I mean, we hear it every Good Friday, but these are famous words for the Jews as well. And John pointing to Jesus and saying, he is the Lamb of God. Surely this is something that will have come to their mind. The one who is expected, the one who is to come, that he will bear the burden of those who have gone astray, that he will be the lamb to carry their sins. And this idea of a lamb which carries the sins of another and which brings reconciliation is a very familiar concept to the Israelites as well, because they would offer a sacrifice for sin. Now, this whole idea about offering a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins uh, probably is a bit foreign to us. Um, And yet, when you dip into the logic behind it, it, it makes a good bit of sense. So the first thing we need to remember is that sin is separating ourselves from the God who is our creator, the God who sustains our life. And here's the thing, right? Like, if you separate yourself from the God who is the source of your life, then what happens? Your life runs out. And, and this is the kind of link that's established between sin and death. That turning your back on God is at the same time turning your back on the source of life. And so, you know, when we're conscious of like serious sin, like we, we recognize that actually what we've done is incur the consequence of sin, which is death. So what would you do? How would you reestablish that relationship with God? Well, The logic behind a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins is this, right? Lord, I know what I rightly merit is death. And so I take the life of this animal, this lamb, and I offer it to you as a substitute, recognizing that what happens to this lamb is is rightly what ought to have happened to me. And that in offering the life of this lamb, I offer you my life in the hope of obtaining your mercy, in hope of reconciling the friendship between us. So what would happen is that the sinner, the person offering the sacrifice, would take the lamb to the temple, to the priest, uh, and kind of press his sins into the lamb, uh, and then give the lamb to the priest who would then offer it in sacrifice. And and then um, as a sign of the person having offered the sacrifice being joined in this offering of the lamb, they would take some of the lamb, some of the meat of the lamb, and give it to that person who would then consume it. And they would be united then in the sacrifice of this lamb. So the logic kind of works, right? Okay, um, my sinfulness has separated me from the source of life. And and I seek to reestablish that by acknowledging that, yeah, what happens to this lamb rightly ought to happen to me. But by the gift of the life of this lamb, I'm also joining myself in that gift, 
in giving God the gift of my life. So this lamb given to God becomes a sign of me, of the gift that I make of myself to God. When you slot yourself into the biblical worldview, yeah, look, it makes good sense, but there's something missing. The poor lamb, (laughs) you know, it didn't ask to be sacrificed. It didn't volunteer and say, right, you know, I'll be the sacrifice for you. You're the one who rightly merits death, but I'll do it instead. And at the end of the day, you know, it is just a lamb. But what if instead the lamb of God was a lamb given by God firstly to us and that this lamb would then offer himself freely, take our sins upon himself and in this way re-establish the communion between God and us. This practice of making a sin offering finds its fulfilment in Jesus, the true Lamb of God. Listen again to Isaiah. We had all gone astray like sheep, each taking his own way, and the Lord burdened him with the sins of all of us. Harshly dealt with, he bore it humbly. He never opened his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughterhouse, like a sheep that is dumb before its shearers, never opening its mouth. All of this is taken up by John the Baptist when he points to Jesus and says, look, there's the Lamb of God. But there's something more. You remember the Passover. This is the tenth terrible plague that God inflicts upon Egypt in order to rescue his people from slavery and captivity to Pharaoh. So in one night, God sends the angel of death to pass through the land of Egypt and to slay the firstborn of every family. I mean, pause and think about that. (laughs) What a devastating plague. I mean, look at how much we've been laid up by coronavirus and, you know, the death rate is less than 1%. And, well, what are we talking about here? But there's a means by which the Israelites are rescued, and it's by the blood of the Passover lamb. You see, they were to take a lamb without spot or stain. They were to live with the lamb for a number of days beforehand, and then slaughter the lamb, take its blood, and with its blood mark the doorposts and lintel of their house, right? And then as the angel of death came through the land of Egypt that night, seeing the blood of the lamb, he would pass over the household and in this way rescue them from death. And so the Passover lamb became a sign of God's desire to rescue his people, to free them, to liberate them to draw them to himself and make them his own. The lamb was indeed the one who rescued the household from death. So when you roll all of this together, the prophecy from Isaiah that the Messiah would be the one who was like a lamb led to the slaughterhouse, when we take the reality of the sacrificial lamb who brought the forgiveness of sins, when we look at the Passover lamb who rescues God's people from death, we now get a pretty vivid picture painted for us by St. John the Baptist of just who is standing in front of them. A lamb, not because Jesus is cute and cuddly, but a lamb because Jesus will lay down his life. A lamb, not because he's gentle and non-threatening, but because he will rescue his people from sin and death. How beautiful is that moment then in the Mass, when... As the host itself is being fractured, 
that the people of God declare, Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. And then the priest, holding high the fractured Eucharistic host, declares, Behold the Lamb of God, the one who saves us by means of his death, by means of his body being broken upon the cross, the one who lays down his life in order to take away the sins of the world. So it seems to me today we have the invitation to be like the two disciples, the two disciples of John the Baptist, that we follow his finger and see the one to whom he is pointing. To go to Jesus, because God has indeed sent a lamb into the world to save us. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.